My name is Greg Kodrowski, and this is my podcast, Theology 101. I like to study the Bible, and I don't think the Bible is really that difficult to understand. For the most part, it's really pretty simple, and simple is better. So if you're like me, and you want to know more about the Bible, or if you just want to hear more about the Bible, stick around. And if you want to know more about me or check out my pedigree, Google me or visit my website, theology101.net. There's a problem in discipleship. There is a problem with discipling. Now, what would that be? We're finishing up this uh, study. This is our second part on, the, on our study on discipling, looking at this verb about how we make uh, how we be and make disciples, and uh, we're going to finish that up today. I want to look at the problem there is in discipleship, but the problem that there is with discipling, and I think you'll recognize it immediately because it's so prevalent in our churches today, and we need to uh, we need to define it, we need to describe it, we need to point at it so that if we need to fix it in our lives or our ministries, we can do that, or if we see it somewhere else, we can avoid falling into this pitfall, falling into this trap. So Brief review, what are we here for? Purpose in life, you know that. It is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. How do we do that? Well, by finishing the work God gave us to do, and that work is our life's mission. Life's mission is to be and make disciples. When we do that, we glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So we talked about what a disciple was. A disciple is just a Christian. He's a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. That helped us to understand discipleship. It's the process of what a disciple goes through as he becomes more and more like Christ. It's a process that involves two very important ministries, evangelism and edification. And we have made the point time and time again that you cannot divorce evangelism from discipleship, and if you do, you're going to mess things up pretty good. So evangelism is how a disciple is made in the sense of uh, becoming and creating a disciple, and then the disciple is made through edification by being molded and conformed to the image of Christ more and more as time goes on. And so that's that's being and making a disciple. God wants us to be disciples. He wants us to be saved and be sanctified. He wants us to make disciples. He wants us to go out and evangelize the lost and then edify the saved through the preaching and teaching uh, of the Word of God and, and showing people through example um, and love on how to to grow in Jesus Christ, apply the Scripture, and, and do what it says. And that kind of left us with this idea of discipling. And I wanted to talk about discipling, not so much uh, to give new information, because with, with looking at disciple and discipleship, I think we have a pretty good idea of a biblical theology of discipleship. But with discipling, we've had the opportunity to uh, to kind of talk about who's responsible for this. You know, what is it? It's easy. Discipling is the work of being and making disciples. Um, but who's responsible for it? Well, you are, I am, individuals. So I'm responsible to, to respond to the gospel, to be saved. I'm responsible to learn the Bible and do what it says and, and do what, what the Lord expects of me so that I can grow in Christ and be conformed to His image. And as we looked at you know making disciples, uh, each and every one of us is responsible, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, for evangelizing. We're, we're each and every one of us that's reconciled is responsible in this ministry of reconciliation to take the word of reconciliation out to the lost. And and I made the point of how you do that should be developed around your personality, your divine design, your gifts, your talents, uh, the kind of person you are. 
go and and do the work of evangelism according to to that divine design. Man, I, I love seeing street preachers. I love seeing guys knock on doors. I love seeing folks, you know, do the one-on-one evangelism. But um, you know, there's even testimony about people uh, look for. Uh, the testimony of the guy on George Street, George Street. I know it's embellished a little bit over the years, but a guy gave himself, you know, the challenge of just, I think it was just passing out one gospel tract a day, and he did, down in Australia. And uh, that made a huge impact around the world. So, look, we need to be involved in evangelism. However we do that, however small you think it may be. And remember, I remember when I was a pastor at Harvest Baptist Church up here in in in, uh, in Olathe, Kansas. I uh, I gave my people the one-track challenge, okay? One-track challenge, and uh, we still talk about that every now and then, the one-track challenge. Um, one, one track the week. Can you take one gospel track and pass it out, give it to somebody, or put it somewhere where somebody's going to find it? One. One track a week. Uh, anybody can do that. Well, why don't you? Why don't you? If you can, why don't you? We'll do that. So anyway, evangelism. We're all responsible to evangelize. We've been called to the work of evangelism, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20. And we've all been called to the, the ministry of edification, you know, edifying other believers. Well, how how is a believer edified? Well, he's edified when he receives the Word of God and is exhorted or given an example to apply it. That's how we grow. It's through the learning and application of Scripture. So if I can help another believer learn and apply Scripture, then I am participating in the ministry of edification. And that can take many forms. We talked about that. It could be just as simple as, you know, sitting down over a cup of coffee with a friend and talking about the Bible, you know, how your, you know, your morning quiet time in the Bible's been, what have you been learning, you know, hey, let's read this passage, let's talk about it, observe it, how can we apply it, and boy, we go on our way, and, and that's wonderful, that's good, that's, that's edification. Or it could be as deep, profound, broad, and complicated as developing some big academic, uh, you know, research study into some aspect of the Bible, like uh, the uh, theocratic covenantal dispensationalism that is the only self-evident uh, system of theology in the Bible. And uh, we're going to get into that later on. The point being, we're all called to the ministry of edification, of getting the Word to other believers in such a way as we can help them learn it and apply it. It can be very, very simple, or it can be very, very complicated and involved. It just depends on how God made you. So again, minister according to how God made you. We need you, okay? Every Christian that is alive on this earth is a member of the body of Christ, and God has left that member on this earth with a specific purpose, to do the works that God has called him to do in evangelism and edification. Therefore, if a Christian is still on earth, we need that person. We need that person with that personality, with that gift cluster, with those talents, with 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 what God has given him or her in that divine design. We need that member of the body of Christ to accomplish the work that God has given us to do. And so that's kind of how we ended up with our last study, looking at discipling and kind of giving ourselves that exhortation that, look, 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 different is not wrong. If somebody's style of evangelism or edification gets up your nose, go somewhere else. Um, go listen to somebody else. Uh, there, there's some preachers out there that I know they speak truth. I know they do, but I cannot for the life of me 
listen to them. They irritate me to no end just by their mannerisms or or stuff that, that's just extra. It's not the content. The content's good, and it takes a little bit of effort to listen to the content. Whereas there's other guys that the content's the same, but it comes through in, through their personality or through their, their teaching, through their mannerisms, through how God made them in a way that I'm like, wow, I could, you know, I could belly up to that bar all day long. I could listen to that man all day long. Kyle Stevens is one of those. Um, I'm, I'm not a real, I'm not a real topical preacher kind of guy. I like expository preaching. I like to be taught a book. I like to go verse to verse and uh, learn it chapter by chapter and and get the whole book down. But I can't get enough of Kyle Stevens and his topical preaching. If you have not listened to him, you need to at least listen to a couple to see if he can minister to you too, because he's good. Um, He's at Blessed Hope Baptist Church up in uh, Coon Rapids, Minnesota, and the website is av1611audio, okay, av1611audio.org. Um, website needs a little bit of updating, but you can still kind of get around um, and and listen to some of the sermons. But anyway, that, that's side note, side note. Different is not wrong. It's where we left our, 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 our study, you know, last podcast. Uh, we're all called to make disciples through evangelism, uh, evangelizing the lost and edifying the saved. And we're going to all do that a little differently because that's how God made us. Our evangelism styles are different, but we all need to get the gospel to the lost. Our edification styles are going to be a little different. Some are one-on-one, some are classroom, some are just personal, some are academic. But we all need to speak the truth in love to other believers in order to help them to grow in the knowledge and the application of Scripture. So with this discipling topic, how, how do we finish this out? Well, let's talk about a problem. Because there is a problem. There's a major problem with discipleship, and there's a very, very real problem and danger in discipling. So we need to talk about that in order to either fix it or avoid it. And the danger in discipling is institutionalism. That's it. Institutionalism. You say, well, what do you mean institutionalism? Um, Institutionalism is basically the problem of programs and materials taking the place of actual discipling. So when we talk about the ministry of discipleship, the danger we have is we get our eyes off of the actual biblical process of growing in Christ-likeness, of becoming more and more like Christ in character and conduct. And we focus rather on classes and courses and books and materials and knowledge. And so when that happens, the means to the end becomes the end itself. And think about that. The techniques and the tools, those are the means to the end. The end is, I want this person to become like Christ. Now, if the person is lost, I need to evangelize that person. How do I do that? Once that, that person's saved, I want that person to grow in Christ-likeness. Well, how can I help that process? How can I get him the Bible and help him to apply the Bible and learn the Bible and grow in the Bible? How, how, how do we do that? Well, that's the end is Christ-likeness. The means to the end are the techniques and the tools we use to get that person either saved or growing in sanctification. 
The problem becomes when those techniques and tools become the end in themselves. At that point, discipleship stops. At that point, there's really no spiritual growth. We're going through the motions with some dead machine. Discipleship and discipling then become a program, or it becomes a set of books or courses. And disciples, well, they become the people in church who are those really strong, dedicated, every time the doors are open, they're there, they're the super spiritual people who read all the books, take all the courses, and get all their certificates, and and one, two, three, they, they've done it all. And really what they've done is they've submitted themselves to an institutional structure, like a Bible institute or a, you know, a seminary, and they've gone through the motions, they've gone through the classes, and they've taken the tests, and they've done all the required stuff, and then at the end... Somebody puts a mark on a chalkboard or gives them a certificate and said, you're done. So once you're done with the structure, once you're done with the institute, or once you're done with the books or the materials or the course, then check mark, you're done. Well, that's institutionalism. And when we institutionalize discipleship, when we institutionalize discipling, we kill it. We take the life right out of it. We get a materials-focused discipleship rather than a disciple-focused discipleship. Does that make sense? Because I come from a background, like when I got saved, I think I mentioned this before, I was involved with the Navigator Campus Ministry, and I got exposed to concepts of discipleship through the Navigators. And they were all big on discipleship, you know, discipleship here and discipleship there and discipleship. And then I got plugged into a church, Kansas City Baptist Temple, that had discipleship. Well, we had discipleship one, and then we had discipleship two. And then after discipleship two was the Bible Institute that was called Shepherd School. And it was a structure. It was a very good structure. It was a good teaching structure. It had a lot of good things going for it. But a lot of the people that participated in the structure, we didn't understand a biblical philosophy of discipleship. So basically, we we said, okay, you got to get through D1 and D2 to get into the shepherd school. Well, what does that mean? Well, you got to finish these courses in order to qualify for the Bible Institute. And so what we did was we focused more on the materials and more on the institution, more on the structure than we actually did on the disciple. So if we had a new believer you know, this new believer say, hey, I want to grow in Christ. We got to get plugged into D1, you know, D1, discipleship one, 16 lessons. They were topical lessons, you know, on simple stuff like baptism and, you know, the uh, Lord's Supper and, and uh, eternal security, liberty in Christ. I mean, we had a whole bunch of good stuff. Um, judgment seat of Christ was wonderful. Good stuff, good Bible studies. But what we did was say, oh man, you got to really get, got to get through D1 so you can get to D2 because D2 is the good stuff, right? Well, wait a minute. Maybe that person doesn't even need D1 right now. Maybe what that person needs is just somebody to help him learn how to read the Bible each day and write down a key thought from his Bible reading. You know, we call that a quiet time or personal time with the Lord or however you want to. It's your daily time in the Bible and prayer. How do you do that? I had a huge question when I got saved. How do I do that? And I'm thankful that Shane Sanderson, the guy that led me to the Lord, the Navigators, with Brian Short, and all the other folks that helped me out when I was when I was with them and as a new convert, I got a lot of good instruction about how to have a quality personal time with the Lord. 
I incorporated that into the stuff that I put together as far as discipleship. But it, it needs to be disciple-focused. We need to have a, a toolbox, if you want a metaphor. I don't really like it, but it is a toolbox, and you say, okay, here I've got a disciple of the Lord that God has put into my life. What can I do to help this person grow in the Lord Jesus Christ? Does he need discipleship one? Does he need discipleship two? Does he need instruction on how to have a quiet time? Does he need to go through a book with me on systematic theology? Does he need a book on hermeneutics? Does he need a book on practical Christian living? Does he need to to just have a book on basic Bible doctrines? Does he need to study the book of Ephesians? Does he need to go through Revelation? Or maybe he needs to go through some of the books, uh, some of the Psalms in the book of Psalms. The focus needs to be where the life is. The life is the disciple. How can we get that disciple from point A to point B? Materials, techniques, tools that we use to help somebody grow in Jesus Christ. That's that's discipleship. The problem becomes when the tools become the end. We don't focus on the disciple. We say, look, here's our discipleship. Anybody that wants to go through it has to start in point A and go to point B. Well, we we just institutionalized a ministry that was never meant to be institutionalized. I'm all for structure. You know, you look at the the discipleship stuff I put together in Spanish. It's available out on the the internet. Um, It's all out there. It's very, very structured. It's got level one, two, three, and four, four big levels. And inside the levels, I've got sub-levels. And I numbered those levels like... Uh, university classes. You got class 101, 102, 201, 202, 301, 302. Uh, why? So people have an idea of where to go next. So I'm not against structure. I'm not against uh, materials and techniques and tools, but the techniques, the tools, the structure, the the courses, the materials, that's not discipleship. Discipleship is helping another person either come to Jesus Christ through evangelism or grow in Jesus Christ through edification. And that means I need to focus on the person. Maybe that person does need uh, class 101. Maybe that person needs class 303, or maybe that cl- he needs class 201. I don't know. Or maybe he just needs, like I said, maybe he just needs to spend some time reading the Bible, learning how to read and mark his Bible and write down a key thought each day. Do that for a year. Maybe he just needs to read, you know, 50 pages a day so he can get through his Bible once every month and do that for a year. I, I don't know. What does, your, what, what does the disciple, the person God has put in your life, what does he need? If we are going to disciple that person, be ye followers of me as I am of the Lord Jesus Christ, what do I need to teach him so he can be a better follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? So how do we avoid this institutionalism? How do we avoid institutionalizing our discipleship, because it's a big part of our ministries. Structure helps us. It keeps us responsible. It, it helps people that aren't self-starters to be to, to continue to grow. Structure's good. Materials are good. I'm all for it. Well, how do we avoid the danger of institutionalism in our discipling? And I think the answer is found in the philosophy. Now, to define our terms, we need to talk about, you know, uh, philosophy. I just throw that word out there, philosophy, okay? And I know it's, a, it's one of those words not a lot of people like, and I don't really care for it myself, but it does convey an idea that I want to, to talk about. 
So to define our terms, what we have just done, what we're finishing up right now, we're, we're kind of, you know, uh, finish up the last details and tying things off and, and looking at the last little bit of a biblical theology of discipleship, okay? Biblical theology of discipleship. Theology is a study or the knowledge of God. We want a biblical theology because we want our theology based on the Bible. So when we look at a biblical theology of discipleship, we look at discipleship in the Bible. What does the Bible say about uh, a disciple and being a disciple and making disciples? That's what we've done. Okay, that's where we're at right now. We're finishing that up. Okay, we're finishing that up. So we studied out what the Bible says about discipleship. We, we went to the Scripture. We observed passages, proper context, looked to define our terms and concepts. And, and okay, we're, we're at that point where we're transitioning into, okay, I know what it is. Now, how do I do that? Okay, how do I do that? The next step is to develop, to develop a biblical philosophy of discipleship, okay? It's biblical, so we're still basing this on the Bible. We're not looking to man's philosophies, the philosophy of science, the philosophy here. No, we're not interested in that. We're looking at a philosophy of discipleship, and all we're saying is, how do we disciple? What does the Bible say about how discipleship happens and how we do it? That, that, that's going to focus mostly on principles rather than programs. It, it takes the, the knowledge that we built in our biblical theology of discipleship, and it starts moving it into practice in a biblical philosophy of discipleship, showing us how this happens and how we do it. Now, once we have a, an idea of the biblical theology of discipleship, once we've developed a biblical philosophy of discipleship, we know what, we know how, once we've got that, then we can talk about the biblical practice of discipleship. And in, the, in that aspect is where we talk about techniques and tools and plans and programs. You know, is one-on-one going to work right now? Is classroom setting? Do you have to do it virtual? Um, do you have to, you know, do you need books? you need materials? Which ones are you going to use? The biblical practice of discipleship, okay? But even when we're practicing biblical discipleship, our focus needs to always be on the philosophy, the biblical principles, and not on the programs and the tools. If one tool works well for you in evangelism, I say use it. If another one works better for me, I'm going to use it. Why? Because the goal is to evangelize biblically. Okay, if street preaching is something that you do, go do it. If door knocking is something that you do, go do it. If gospel tracts are something you do, go do it. If personal witnessing is something you do, go do it. I know a guy, I go to church with a guy right now, he carries gospel tracts around in his pocket, and he's wonderful. I mean, gifted, talented, uh, blessed of the Lord in just striking up a conversation with people. Just in the, in the normal course of his life, you know, uh, you know, computer programmer guy. And uh, he can strike up a conversation with anybody. It doesn't bother him. Um, he loves it, and he's super good at it, super good at it. So uh, you know what I say? More power to him. What he's doing is wonderful, and, and do it. I, I struggle at that. So... I prefer to street preach. I like to go out, break the ice with people out on the street, and uh, and talk to them in that venue. So we're not talking about focusing on tools and techniques. It's not that one is right and the other is wrong. If one tool works for you, great. If one tool works for me, great. Not it's different. It's not wrong. Now we the same thing works for edifying. If one tool or technique works well for you in edifying other believers. 
then use it. Some people are great in one-on-one. They just love one-on-one. They want one-on-one, you know, relationships with people and going in the Bible and working with a disciple, you know, and remember it's a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not your disciple. But I know entire ministries that only, only allow their people to disciple one-on-one. Nothing else is discipleship, just one-on-one. Well, that's not right, because if something works different for me, let's say a classroom setting or a small group, why can't we do that? If we are communicating Bible knowledge and providing exhortation and examples about how to apply that Bible knowledge, that's the goal, help people learn the Bible and apply the Bible. If we can do that one-on-one and in a class, what's what's the problem? The goal is to biblically edify other believers, and that can take many forms, all of which can be right, all of which can be biblical, all of which can be profitable. And so when we talk about about our biblical philosophy, it fits into our scheme. This whole idea of discipleship being our life's mission, we need a solid biblical theology of discipleship. We need to know what the Bible says about this. But then, and this is where we're going with our study, okay? This is the next podcast, our biblical philosophy of discipleship. Okay, we need to know how we do that. How does it happen? How do we do it? And then and only then can we talk about the biblical practice of discipleship because our focus needs to be on the philosophy. The philosophy is, is, is that link between the knowledge and the practice. We don't want to leave it at knowledge only, head knowledge. It doesn't get us anywhere. But if we move into practice without understanding the philosophy, then we get to be too focused on the tools and the techniques, the plans, the programs, and the materials. And we become structure-focused, and we institutionalize our discipleship, and we, we, we kill it. So the biblical philosophy is where our focus needs to be, because that will keep us balanced between the biblical theology and the biblical practice of discipleship. Okay, And that means that this, this, this philosophy— what we need to focus on is what I'm calling means and goals. And let me talk talk just just briefly about that, okay? And I know these if if this is a new concept, okay, means and goals. Means M E A N S. It is the means to an end, okay? Means and goals. You know what goals are. If these are going to be new concepts for you, um this is going to feel it's going to feel awkward, and you're going to you're not going to, you say, well, what what is he trying to say? What is he trying to say? It's and I the example I have is <clears throat> as we fit this biblical philosophy together, because it's going to be biblical principles that we're going to put together about how this discipleship thing occurs. Um, it's going to it, it think of a, a puzzle. When you do a puzzle, you dump the puzzle pieces out on the table, and you start turning them over. You know, so you got the colored part up, and you can start putting the pieces together. What we're going to do right now is we're going to throw some pieces out on the table, okay? And it's going to feel like that for some of you that are listening, that this is the first time, you know, he's talking about means and goals and means here and one, two, three, four, five, and six of those and eight of these and three of these and three of those. And what are we supposed to do? And you're going to go, wait a minute, I don't get it. You're throwing the pieces of the puzzle out on the table. Okay, you got to get the pieces of the puzzle out before you can turn them over and start fitting the pieces together. And as you fit the pieces together, then you begin to get a clearer, a more clear picture of what we're looking at, okay? But the first step is throwing the pieces out on the table. 
So I apologize for what I'm about to do because I'm about to throw the pieces out on the, out on the table. And when we talk about the means of discipleship, okay, what we are talking about are the stages in discipleship. And we're going to talk about the means of edification. We're going to talk about the means of evangelism. And this is basically how God will take a person from point A and move him to point B. If we say, I want to evangelize that person, what are the means that God has established through which a person will be evangelized? Okay, the means are the stages, the means are these big steps that somebody goes through, the means to the end. What has to happen before somebody gets to the end? What are the means of evangelism? What has to happen before someone is truly biblically evangelized? Or the means of edification? What has to happen? What are the steps? What are the stages? What needs to go on in order for a a Christian to be edified. And there are certain means of edification. So there's means that God takes people through, and then there's goals. There are goals in evangelism that God has given us, and that's our part. Because a lot of what happens in evangelism, folks, is not up to us. You could be the most persuasive person in the world, and if God does not work in the person that you're witnessing to, that person will never get saved. But there's still some parts that, that of, of evangelism that God expects us to do, that he has charged us to do, that, that God has commanded us to do. Those are our goals. And same thing with evangelism. In eva- I'm sorry, evangelism. Same thing in edification. You know, God has given certain goals in edification. If you want to be edified in Jesus Christ, be a disciple, be edified. If you want to grow in Christ— You have to focus on the goals. You have to reach each and every one of the goals that God has established, because if you don't, you won't be edified. And if you want to help another believer be edified in the Lord Jesus Christ and grow in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to help them reach the goals of edification, or else edification won't take place. And so when we talk about means and goals— We need to be conscious of the means through which God will will do His work. But we need to focus on the goals because that's the part that God has given for us to do. Does that make sense? We're conscious of the means through which God does His work of evangelism and edification. The means. But our focus and our effort is on the goals, because that's our part. God does his part. We define our part in the goals. If we reach those goals, we accomplish those goals, we know we have done our part in being and making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's talk about these means and goals. First, let's talk about evangelism. I think it's a little easier to see in evangelism than it is in, in edification. And we're gonna in our next podcasts, we're gonna take our time. We're gonna we're gonna develop all each and every one of these. And I, I, I you'll see it's it's very simple. It's a very simple concept. Like I said, we're throwing some pieces of the puzzle out on the table. So have patience and just work through it. And keep listening to the podcast. Keep listening to the to the teaching. You'll get it. We're going to go over this in the next uh, several podcasts. We're going to go over this in detail.
So when we talk about the means of evangelism, how in the world does God make a disciple out of a sinner? Um, what is the process, process through which God takes a sinner and makes him a saved sinner? Well, it's, there's four means. Four. Conviction, preaching, conversion, and regeneration. Okay? Think about each, each and every one of these. There is the personal conviction of the sinner. The sinner. God will work in a sinner's life, according to John 16, by His Holy Spirit to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Okay, Creation and conscience speak to the heart of man and let him know God is there, God is real, God is good, and you are not. Right? That's the personal conviction of the, the sinner. But with conviction... That just leaves a sinner feeling guilty. What that sinner needs to hear is the preaching of the cross, okay? The the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You broke God's law. That's why you feel that conviction. You're guilty. And the penalty is death. But Jesus Christ paid your fine when he died on the cross in your place, and now he offers you eternal life. Forgiveness of sins, eternal life. The preaching of the gospel. That's Romans 10. How, uh, you know, how can they be saved if they don't hear? How are they going to hear unless they have a preacher? So conviction, preaching, and then conversion. Because the sinner, the sinner that's convicted of sin, that hears the preaching of the gospel, must repent of his sin and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a conversion from sin and self to the Lord Jesus Christ. So there is a conversion. That is a decision the sinner makes. Obviously, based on the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God in his heart, obviously, after, through the preaching of the Word, Romans 10, I think it's 14, that the uh, that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, God gives him enough faith to be saved. What he does with that faith depends on his decision to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, or to say thank you, no. So the sinner must turn from sin and self and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. But you see, even if he does that, that doesn't save him. God saves him. God forgives him and regenerates him. And so that is the, the fourth means of evangelism. Evangelism, the, the final means, the final stage, is that regeneration by the Spirit of God becomes born again, becomes made new, is forgiven of his sins, accepted in, in, in Jesus Christ, and, and is, is made a son of God. So here are the means of evangelism. You think about the process through which a sinner goes from, from being a sinner to becoming saved. There's conviction, personal conviction of sin by the Holy Spirit. There is the preaching of the gospel. Someone communicates to him about what uh, Jesus Christ did for him on the cross. And then there's the conversion of the sinner through repentance and faith. And when that happens, God forgives him and regenerates him by the Holy Spirit of God, giving him new life in Jesus Christ, and he's saved. Okay, Conviction, preaching, conversion, and regeneration. The means of evangelism. So what are the goals of evangelism? You say, okay, those are the means. That's how we get the guy you know, from, from being a sinner to being a saint. Well, what does God expect of me? What am I supposed to do? And there's two goals. That's it, folks. That's just, there's just two. 
Um, I, I had three before until I studied the, the, I mean, I studied it out a little bit more and I took one off of there. I, I think there's only two goals. Everything else, God does. And so what does God expect of us in evangelism? Go and preach. Yeah, that's it. I know, folks, it, it's it's not difficult. It's not complicated. I know it's that theology 101. At least it's applied theology 101, right? Go and preach. And when I say preach, I, I know some people will have in their minds, you know, a guy standing on a on a red coat crate on a street corner and preaching the gospel to the to you know to the multitudes walking by. But all the word preaching means is announcing with authority. And so you could sit down with you know your sister, your brother, your friend, your coworker, and you could just ask them. You know, you could have a conversation. Hey, what do you think happens after you die? They're like, well, I don't know. Guess I get judged. Oh, yeah? Well, how you, how's that going to work out for you? I don't know. Probably bust hell wide open. Oh, really? Does that bother you? Sure. Oh, uh, you know what Jesus Christ did for you? Nope. Want to hear? Sure. Go ahead. And then you witness to him. Okay? You're simply preaching the gospel to him in a conversational tone. You can preach the gospel through a gospel tract. Do you remember the book of Romans? Paul says, oh, man, first chapter, I really, really want to visit y'all in Rome. You remember when he said that? I just, I, I really want to get out there because why? I want to preach the gospel to you, Romans 1, 15, 16, 17. He says, but right now I'm going to Jerusalem, and I, I got to get over there so I can preach to the Jews one more time, but I want to preach the gospel to you. So um, in the meantime, here, I'm going to preach the gospel to you in the book of Romans. And he writes them a gospel tract. The book of Romans is a gospel tract to Gentiles to first present them with the gospel and then exhort them in the last half of the book to apply the truths of the gospel to their lives in practical ways. Romans is a gospel tract. Hebrews is another gospel tract that Paul wrote to the Hebrews. He wanted to get the gospel message to them, a message of exhortation, a message of, of faith in Jesus Christ. So he was in, in jail at the time, so he wrote them the book of Hebrews. It's a gospel tract. So whether we're preaching on the street corner, preaching in a conversation, or preaching through a gospel tract, it's still go and preach, go and preach. Okay, And I say go because, look, how are we going to witness to unbelievers if we don't go where they're at. And I know here's here's the modern church philosophy. If we put on a rave show in our in our Sunday morning services, we'll dim the lights, get theater seats, have fog machines and and drama, theater lights and laser lights and dancing girls and who knows what else. Then people will come. Are you stupid? People aren't going to come to church for some rinky-dink entertainment show when they could get better entertainment on Netflix in their house. No, the church is for believers. The purpose of the local church, New Testament local church, purpose that God established for the local church is the edifying of the saints. We come together to be edified, and then we go to preach the gospel to the world. Folks, we need to go out where the sinners are. We need to go out where the where the people are that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, and we need to engage them with the gospel, either through 
open-air preaching or gospel tracks or one-on-one conversations or, or, or going door-to-door putting tracks on cars. We need to go and preach. We need to get the gospel to the unsaved where they are. Those are the goals. You say, well, how do I convict somebody of, of sin? You don't. Now think about the means and the goals, the means. The conviction of a sinner, the preaching of the gospel, the conversion, and the regeneration. Where, where do we fit? Mostly in the preaching, because God takes care of the conviction through creation, through conscience, through the preaching of the cross. He's going to convict the sinner. Okay, who does the converting? Well, the sinner does. He decides to repent of sin and self and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Who does the forgiving and the regeneration? God. So what's our part? The preaching. So we're conscious of the means of evangelism, the process through which the sinner goes to be saved. But we focus our efforts on the goals of evangelism, because if we accomplish the goals, we have evangelized biblically. There's our biblical philosophy of discipleship, to make a disciple through evangelism. A biblical philosophy says, go to the sinners and preach the gospel to them. That's it. Yeah, pray for them. Praise the Lord. Pray for them. But understand, God wants them saved much more than you do. And he has established this, this, these goals because faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God, and the word that saves people through faith is a preaching of the gospel. So go and preach. The same thing could be said for a philosophy, a biblical philosophy of edification. There are means of edification, means through which God will edify a believer. These are, the, these are the big pieces of the process of edification. How does, God, how does a Christian be edified? How does he grow in Jesus Christ? How does he become more conformed to the image of Christ each day? There are five means of edification. We identify with Christ. We grow in our knowledge of the Bible. We obey the Bible. We experience suffering because of what we're obeying in the Bible, and we live an exchanged life. Okay, like I said, we're throwing pieces out on the table. Okay, so don't don't get upset, don't get all flustered. Just just let it let it all just kind of work itself out. We have to have these pieces of the puzzle thrown out there before we start turning them over and putting them together. So the means of edification first is the identification with Christ. We need to set our affection on things above, not on things on this earth. And that means we need to consciously identify ourselves with Christ. How does it, what does that look like? That, that's, I'm a Christian. Okay, I'm a Christian. First and foremost, I'm a Christian. When somebody asks you, so like somebody, what do you do? You know, you're on an airplane or you're talking to somebody, and that's, that's generally what we do. Um, hey, so what do you do? And what, do you, what we're asking him is, you know, what kind of work do you do? I say, well, I'm a cop. Oh, yeah. Do you see what I just did? He says, what do you do? And I said, I am what I do. I'm a cop. That's wrong. What do you do? Well, I do the work of a police officer right now, financial crimes detective. That's what I do. I am a Christian, a son of God. 
And because I'm a son of God, I want to do my job to the best of my ability. I want to be a good witness. I want to provide for my family. That's what I do, and I want to do that well. I think there's reward at the judgment seat of Christ for doing our jobs well. But that's not what I am. I am a Christian. And until we identify with Christ on that level, we're going to have a hard time growing in Christ. Because what we're going to do is we're going to grow in what we identify with. You know, you can say, well, I'm a doctor. I'm a medical doctor. And so you focus on learning your specialty and learning all the new knowledge and all the new techniques and all the new tools. Why? To be a better and better doctor. And I think we, you know, we should. We should be the best we can do. But there has to be a balance because the work that you do is the work of a doctor, but you're a Christian first. And so if I identify as Christ, then I want to grow in Christ. And it's that balance that we achieve of knowing that, yes, I'm a Christian and I have this job to do. When I focus my identity too much on what I do in this world, then that's what I become. I want to be, I want to be a good doctor. I want to be a good cop. I want to be a good whatever, teacher, lawyer. I do, do, do this. And I focus on this and focus on this and focus on this. And then five, six, ten years down the road, I wonder, huh, why aren't I a better Christian? Or I get to the judgment seat of Christ and lose every reward I could have received. Why? Because I didn't do anything. Why didn't I do anything? I did a lot. I did a lot. I mean, I was the best cop I could ever be, but that's all I did. It's got to start with identifying with Christ. We need to understand we are citizens of heaven. We are living here as pilgrims just to passing through. And we need to do what we do here with, with good intention. We need to do our jobs well. But first and foremost, we must identify with Christ. And then, after we identify with Christ, we need to grow in our knowledge of the Bible. We need to learn the Bible. You're, you're never going to grow in Jesus Christ until you learn the Bible. And in its context, it's not just cherry-pick. Open the Bible, plant your finger, and say, Woo, that's what God has for me today. No. Learn the Bible in its context. That means you need to read it, Genesis to Revelation. Four pages a day, you could read the Bible once every year. And I think that's the minimum every Christian should be doing to grow in knowledge, to learn your Bible. Because how else are you going to learn about what God expects of you? You need to learn the Bible, and then you need to obey the Bible, which comes from an attitude of submission. I submit myself to the Bible. The Bible changes me. I don't change the Bible. And I obey what it tells me. That's why I say Learn the Bible, do what it tells you. Learn the Bible, do what it tells you. Okay, so I identify with Christ. So I am a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. Therefore, I want to learn of Him. Where can I learn of Jesus Christ? The Bible. Great. I want to learn the Bible. So I start this process of reading and studying the Bible, learning it in its context. And then there's there's things that are going to come up, and I need to obey the Bible. That's great, because I want to submit to it. And then comes... Our fourth means of edification, suffering. And because we're obeying the Bible, because we're learning the Bible, because we identify with Christ, we're going to experience suffering. Most of our suffering, I am sorry to say, will come from other Christians. That's just the way it's designed. That's part of the reason of why we must be members of a local church. You have to be a member of a local church. Why? So you can be around other Christians. Why? Because they're going to they're make you suffer. 
they're going to hurt you. They're going to stab you in the back. They're going to whip out their tongue and give you a lashing. I mean, the, most of the pain and suffering and tribulation and difficulties and anguish I have gone through in my Christian walk and my Christian life since 1988, folks, the worst things that have happened to me have happened at the hand of my brethren. And we suffer. But why? Well, God uses suffering. It's like that um, that furnace of earth that, that you know purifies the silver seven times. Well, God uses suffering like a furnace to scrape away the scum of sin and self and selfishness and carnality in our lives. He'll make you suffer to point out just how egocentric and proud and self-centered and soft you really are so that you'll repent, place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, die to yourself, and live for the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to suffer. That's just part of God's plan. Through much tribulation, we'll enter into the kingdom of God. And then, of course, the last means is an exchange life. And all that means is we need consistency. You know, we all fall, we all fail. But there has to be consistency, folks. That's why I insist, you know, if you don't start your day with the Bible and prayer, you need to. And if that's all you do, all day, if all you do is a half hour in the mornings or an hour where you read the Bible and then pray about what you read, that needs to be consistent. That has to be consistent. That's how we live the new life, with consistency, with with stability, something that lasts. We identify with Christ. We continually grow in our knowledge of the Bible. We continually strive to submit to and obey the Bible. We suffer, and because we suffer, we fail, but we get back up, and we, with consistency, identify with Christ, grow in knowledge and obedience. It's an exchanged life. We die to self and live for Christ. Die to self and live for Christ. Consistency. Through those means, we'll grow in edification. So what are the goals? You know, a lot of that, you can probably pick out the goals and those means, but what does God want us to focus on? When we talk about, you know, the the goals of edification, in my life, if I want to grow in Jesus Christ, what are my goals? Where do I need to focus my effort? What do I need to do so that God can edify me in Christ? Because he's the one that gives the increase. And I think there's four, and they all have to do with commitment. You know, I I like to say that the cost of discipleship is commitment. You know, the, the money by which you pay to grow in Jesus Christ is commitment. That's what God requires of you. Count the cost, he said. Count the cost. Count the cost. Why? Because he requires of you a commitment, a level of commitment. And so what do we need to commit to? I think we need commitment in four areas. First, we need to commit to the Word of God, Scripture, to learn it and do it. Commit to Scripture. We need to commit to a local church a congregation where there's other believers. We need to be a part of a local church. We need to commit to fellowship with other saints. Why? Because we need other people who will challenge us. We need other people who will hold us up in times of weakness. We need each other, and we need fellowship with other Christians, preferably Christians that share the like faith that we have. And even more so, you really need fellowship with saints who will challenge you. Find somebody 
who has something going on in their life that you say, man, I want what he's got. And fellowship with him, because some things are more caught than taught. So find somebody that you can fellowship with that's contagious in an area that you want to grow in. So commit to the Word of God, the local church, fellowship of believers, and ministry. You have to commit to ministry. The ministry of making disciples by evangelizing the lost and edifying the believers. Evangelism and edification, that's our ministry. And so here at this point, here's, here's where we, we understand kind of the broad concept of a biblical philosophy of discipleship. We're conscious of the means through which God will take a, a person from point A to point B. We focus on the goals because that's our part. That's what God has charged us to do in the evangelism and, and the edification in, in, these, in these processes. And so once we understand this biblical philosophy of discipleship, what we do is we focus on the disciple. We focus on the person and not on the structure. Okay, we look at the person. Is that person saved? If he's not saved, how can I go to him and present the gospel to him? Those are the goals. If he is saved and I want to see him edified, how can I help him to commit more to learning the Bible and applying the Bible, attending and being part of a local church? Can I give him the fellowship that he needs and help him to establish himself in ministry? What are the tools, what are the techniques, what are the materials, the books, the courses that I can use to accomplish the goals? But folks, we have to focus on the goals, because if we don't, if we focus, if we focus on the materials, if we focus on the structure, we will institutionalize discipleship and we kill it. We want a discipleship that is disciple-focused not materials-focused. It doesn't matter what materials we use. If we just use the Bible, folks, that's good enough. That's wonderful. There's other tools out there that could help us be more effective because sometimes it's difficult to, to, to pull out Bible studies for ourselves, and if there's something already done, no need to reinvent the wheel, but we don't focus on the materials. We focus on the disciple. So we know, we, we want to learn about that person where is that person in his walk with the Lord Jesus Christ? And how can I get that person from where he's at to a little farther along in his being conformed to the image of Christ? Then, once I, once I know the person, once I'm focused on the disciple, then I can look out at the tools and the techniques and the materials that are available to me, select the one that I want to use and meet with that person and invest in that person and help that person to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a disciple-focused discipleship, not a materials-focused discipleship. So with this lesson, with this podcast, we finished up the first half. We got our biblical theology of discipleship. We've defined our terms and our concepts. We know what a disciple is. A disciple is a Christian. The two terms, disciple and Christian, are used synonymously in the book of Acts. They refer to a saved sinner that's following Christ to be more like him. And so discipleship 
is the process through which the sinner goes through to become conformed to the image of Christ. It begins with salvation through evangelism, and it continues through growing in sanctification, what we call edification. And that's how one becomes more and more like Christ. Luke 6.40, the disciple becomes like his master. That's Romans 8.29, where we become conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So disciple, discipleship, discipling, all that refers to is the work of making disciples, the work of being and making disciples. It's the verb that describes discipleship. So at the end of the day, the goal of discipleship is the same. It's the destination God has predetermined. It's Philippians 1.6. You know, the, the good work that God began in us, He will finish it. He'll complete it until the day of Christ. You know, we are once once we are saved and in Christ, once we are born again, there's no way to become unborn, and the, the goal will be reached. We will be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. I guess the question we should ask ourselves is, what are we doing now to further that process? Are we participating in this work of discipleship, or are we just simply out there living life how we want to live it? Because if you want to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, then you must finish the work that He gave you to do. And that work is the work of discipleship. It is being and making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where God wants you. That's where God wants each and every one of us. And so from here on out, what we're going to do is we're going to take this biblical theology and we're going to develop a biblical philosophy. We're going to talk about the means and the goals of evangelism first, and we're going to talk about the means and the goals of edification, and we're going to take these two concepts and develop them to the point where we understand how discipleship happens so that we can go out and pick our process, we can go out and pick the materials we want to use, the tools that we want to use, and we can focus on discipleship, the philosophy of discipleship, and how a disciple is made, participate in that process by growing in Jesus Christ ourselves, leading others to Christ, and helping them grow too. So thanks for listening to my podcast. I hope you come back for the next one. My desire is that the Word of God taught and preached, opened up in this hour that we share together, is somehow edifying to you that helps you to understand the Bible, to be encouraged to grow in the Bible, to be motivated to learn more about the Bible, and to do it, to take the biblical theology we're learning and make it applied theology. So stick with me. Come back for the next podcast. We're going to dig into some biblical philosophy of, of discipleship, talking about evangelism. So if that's something that interests you, I would invite you to come back for more Theology 101. Thanks for spending your time listening to my podcast, Theology 101. Simple is better, and it's just not that difficult to learn the Bible so we can do what it tells us. You can find the rest of my studies in English out on my website, theology101.net. And if you do Spanish, tengo más de 15 años de estudios bíblicos disponibles en mi sitio web, teologia101.net. If you'd like to contact me, there's a contact page on my website. You're also more than welcome to visit me any Sunday that you wish. My church information is also out on my website. Remember what Nicholas von Zinzendorf always said, preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. 
Learn the Bible, do what it tells you, and come back for more Theology 101.